Well, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who are expecting John Hamry, I'm sorry to disappoint you. He's only about six inches taller, and he has a full head of hair. Uh, but I'm Rich Armitage. I've been a trustee of CSIS for a number of years, uh, and I'm very happy to be here for several different reasons. But first of all, let me acknowledge the presence uh, uh, for which we're honored of Minister Wang of DAPA, uh, Secretary Fahey, uh, Secretary, Assistant Secretary for Acquisition in the Pentagon, and our senior fellow, Andrew Hunter. Uh, the program this morning is going to be uh, quite straightforward. After I've welcomed you all appropriately, uh, Mr. Hunter will make some remarks about the uh, series of workshops that we had yesterday. Uh, and then we'll have um, Minister Wang and uh, Assistant Secretary Fahey make some of their remarks. Then we'll look forward to Q&A from the audience. But let me tell you why I'm particularly happy about being here today. It is not a secret that the relationship between the Republic of Korea and the United States today is not as good as we would want. It's troubled. It's troubled for a lot of reasons. We've got perennial North Korean problem. We've got the problem of uh, the U.S. demand for quite a sizable amount of money uh, for the stationing of U.S. forces. Uh, we've got uh, the problems that emanated from the Jasomia, the reversal of the decision, which was much welcomed here in Washington. But for a whole host of reasons, our relationship is certainly not the way I'd want it. And since you're here, I suspect the relationship is not the way you want it either. So to the extent that we can follow up on what I think was John Hamry's original idea of, of developing a very mature partnership for our defense industries. This is a way that we can start to repair and rebuild uh, this relationship, which in my mind uh, desperately needs it. John Hamry's original idea was that uh, uh, we've seen, as he expressed it to me at the time, was we've had several generations. First generation of, of our cooperation was the Republic of Korea as a buyer of U.S. military equipment technology. The second was as a co-producer. I was telling our colleagues about a, a story. Uh, I negotiated something called the Rocket, the Rock Indigenous Tank, uh, with the Republic of Korea in 1983. So we've had this technology cooperation and co-production for some time. But John Hamry's idea was to have this third generation, and this is of two mature partners working together uh, to better Republic of Korea defense capabilities, United States defense capabilities, and to be a supplier for other friends uh, around the globe. So to the extent we are successful in doing that, I think we'll be much more successful in our own operations. So let me again uh, welcome you this morning, uh, welcome our distinguished guest, and uh, thank you all for your attendance. And I'll turn it over to the senior fellow of CSIS, uh, Andrew Hunter. Well, thank you, Secretary Armitage, and uh, thank you all very much for coming here, and thank you especially to the minister for coming so far to join us today. We're so privileged to have you here, uh, and very excited to uh, hear your remarks. And thank you also to Secretary Fahey. Thank you very much for joining us. Not quite as long a trip, but just as exciting to have you and to hear your remarks. Uh, 
As, uh, let me first make a, a couple of administrative notes. Uh, those of you who are regular attendees know that we always like to do a security announcement at the start of our events. If for some reason we were to need to leave this building, I would be your security officer and give you direction on where to go, either out the way you came in or, or out the back. Uh, but we don't anticipate any, any interruptions this morning. Uh, and let me also say that we're very grateful for the sponsorship for this morning's event, which was provided by, uh, by DAPA and by uh, DTAQ uh, as well. So thank you very much for that. We're glad that uh, that support was able uh, to allow us to have this morning's event as well as the discussions yesterday that I'm gonna spend a little time uh, telling you about so that you get a sense of some of the practical measures that could potentially be considered to implement this new generation of partnership between uh, U.S. defense industry and the uh, ROC defense industry uh, that Secretary Armitage mentioned uh, is uh, an objective uh, that's been discussed here at CSIS uh, with DAPA and DTAQ uh, and is something that we think is an exciting opportunity for both U.S. industry and Korean industry uh, to be partners on the global defense marketplace going forward, even closer partners than has been the case over the preceding seven decades where they have worked together. Um, so yesterday we had uh, three workshop, workshop sessions with uh, participation from government uh, officials, former and current, and industry officials from both the United States and Korea on both sides, uh, DAPA and DTAQ, uh, both uh, active as well. And uh, the goal of those sessions was to explore uh, how this deeper partnership can be um, taken forward both from a business-to-business -business, uh, set of relationships and in the government-to-government -government, uh, um, cooperation, and then the ways in which those two uh, channels of communication can also be knitted together to achieve this deeper level of partnership. And over the course of that discussion, I, uh, one of the things we wanted to do was to get a grasp, get our arms around uh, kind of the universe of measures that would be, um, which would help advance us to this goal. And then also to get a sense of prioritization. What are the things that are most important, most significant, and perhaps most uh, readily uh, open uh, to being done in the near term? So a sense of prioritization uh, of measures that can be taken to help deepen the partnership. And there were uh, I think sort of four main categories that I felt like uh, the various things we talked about that needed to happen fell into. And the first big category of measures that we talked about was access to information. Uh, and this runs the gamut uh, of information, but most critically it has to do with the government requirements on both sides and the dialogue about requirements. Uh, fundamentally, uh, defense capabilities, uh, the most important thing they do is they meet a military need, a government requirement for capability. Uh, and there are many of these that are common between the U.S. and Korea, uh, and have been obviously for decades that we've met, worked together to satisfy. Uh, but as we go to a deeper partnership, it's even more critical that this dialogue about the true nature of government requirements uh, be uh, even more closely connected and also uh, critical for industry's perspective that they get early insights into what these requirements are so that they can shape their partnership uh, towards meeting those needs 
at an early stage and not have to reverse engineer the partnership in after uh, plans have already been established. Uh, there's also, uh, in terms of access to information, uh, there's a lot of challenges for uh, both companies in the U.S. working in Korea, companies in Korea seeking to work in the United States, to uh, getting visibility for what their capabilities are, what their products can do uh, for the government uh, customers so that they can understand how those products might meet their needs. So visibility uh, of products was another key access to information area that we felt needed to be worked on. Uh, in terms of practical measures, there was discussion about uh, uh, the dialogue that happens between the U.S. and Korea on a regular basis uh, and uh, the security consultations and specific um, meetings in that that relate to uh, industrial cooperation. Uh, and some of those meetings have been ongoing. Some of them have uh, somewhat lapsed in the last decade, haven't been as, uh, as regular and haven't been as intense. Uh, and so uh, an, er an early measure seems to be that we could reinvigorate uh, those dialogues and ensure that uh, committees and subcommittees that focus on the industrial base uh, are established and active in discussing uh, these measures as an as a excellent step on the government-to-government -government side, uh, and they can work on these access to information issues uh, as well as on the policy issues. The next big category of areas that we discussed were government-to-government uh, -government partnership uh, policies. Um, and here, you know, there's a lot of dialogue, uh, there's a lot of agreements already between the United States and Korea, uh, but there, the, you know, there's always a kind of a fabric or a framework of multiple agreements that cover industrial cooperation. And the U.S. has many of these relationships around the world with a number of partners. Everyone is a little different, and the mix of agreements is a little different. Um, in the case of Korea, one of the things that's notably lacking is a reciprocal trade MOU, reciprocal defense trade MOU. Uh, such an MOU, uh, where it is in place between the U.S. and other countries, um, has a, a significant impact on the U.S. acquisition system because it opens up uh, different avenues for cooperation, particularly with respect to Buy America Act issues and other um, sourcing requirements within the U.S. system. Uh, so that seemed like uh, that maybe that's probably a longer-term initiative to understand uh, developing a uh, defense MOU relationship, but one that could have profound impacts uh, on the partnership and would definitely set a new foundation. Uh, there's already been some uh, progress in the last several years. Korea has made a number of adjustments in its offset policy on its side uh, of the policy uh, equation uh, that have moved us towards a situation where uh, rather than uh, it being something that's very transactional uh, for U.S. industry and participating in Korea. Uh, they're evolving their policy towards a, a more of a partnership approach uh, where what's being incentivized is partnership between U.S. and Korean industry rather than simply uh, a specified number of contracts um, to produce work in certain areas. Uh, so a longer term, uh, more strategic uh, partnering relationship. And there's even more that can be done in that area. Uh, and another key uh, in terms of the government-to-government -government dialogue had to do with technology roadmaps and really understanding uh, where the comparative advantage lies between the two industries uh, and how uh, we can uh, target investment so that uh, those capabilities are brought to the fore uh, and, 
and both sides have an, a, an understanding of where the investment uh, is going and where it's going to be targeted that will further this deeper partnership. Another, the other third huge category of activity is on business-to-business -business partnering. Uh, and there's a, um, there's a lot of this that's already happened. U.S. companies and Korean companies have been working together for decades, and there are many significant relationships uh, that have been established already, a lot of them through the offset process for systems developed in prior years. Um, but again, this is, this is kind of the core relationship that uh, we'll need to mature to get to that next generation, deeper level of partnership. Uh, some of the ideas that were brought forward is a need to understand and differentiate uh, where there are key Korean capabilities that uh, are world-class and uh, in areas where Korea, Korean industry can take the lead. Uh, from those areas where uh, U.S. industry uh, is maybe, maybe less open to that sort of uh, partnership. And so we can really clarify um, opportunities for investment and opportunities for partnership. Uh, another uh, key insight that was brought forward is the differentiation uh, in the global market. Uh, on the one hand, <clears throat> regionally, uh, for uh, sales to the U.S. and NATO, if you look at the data for sales that are actually happening from the U.S. to Korea and vice versa and global sales, it's pretty clear that the U.S. and Korea are, although they're operating in similar markets, have different advantages in the global marketplace. Uh, and things look a little different for sales to the U.S. and, and NATO countries versus sales to the rest of the world uh, and the advantages that each side has there. And then the third big piece in the business-to-business -business discussion is opportunities to link to uh, the commercial sector and adjacent marketplaces, adjacent to the defense sector, uh, especially when it comes to commercial aviation, uh, the sustainment uh, of systems and in electronics. And the last big area that we talked about are things that I would characterize simply as market realities. Uh, obviously, a huge piece of this is, is the threat uh, that all of this partnering is designed to counter. Uh, that always has to be first and foremost in the mind. Cybersecurity is uh, is a huge issue for industry on both sides uh, and is an area still that we are uh, working to get our arms around and there's a lot of need for dialogue. And then there's simply changes in industry that are happening broadly across the economy, the need for automation and more advanced production technologies uh, that this partnership creates the opportunity for both sides to, uh, uh, to take a step forward in the marketplace in those areas. So those are really the big issues that were identified in yesterday's discussion. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity and an agenda for progress going forward, which was exciting for those of us who were part of the dialogue. And I really look forward to uh, hearing from our senior leaders uh, with their vision. Uh, and uh, I will uh, just briefly uh, introduce them and uh, call them to this stage. So we have with us uh, Minister Wong, who is the... Uh, Minister of the Defense Acquisition Program Administration. Uh, he is uh, a long-serving um, uh, leader in Korea. Uh, prior to his, uh, uh, excuse me, let me just say briefly, DAPA is the central organization within the Korean Ministry of Natural, National Defense that supports the, uh, the procurement acquisition of uh, all of their defense capabilities. Uh, includes uh, sectors within it that also do uh, technology control and ensure uh, the protection of critical technologies uh, within, uh, within Korea. 
Uh, so he has an extremely broad uh, mandate and responsibility uh, in doing all that and has been doing it uh, capably and well since August of 2018 when he was appointed minister by the president of Korea. Uh, prior to his, his current position, he was the, uh, served as the Auditor General in Korea, so he has a sharp eye out for ensuring uh, efficiency and effectiveness in, in procurement decisions. Uh, also, as I mentioned, joining us this morning is uh, Secretary Kevin Fahey. He is the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Acquisition. Uh, he is the primary advisor to the Secretary of Defense and to the Under Secretary of Defense for Acquisition Sustainment for all matters pertaining to the acquisition uh, of weapon systems, technology, and, and just about everything else. Uh, I always like to say from toilet paper to tanks and everything in between. Uh, and, and prior to his current position, uh, Kevin was a senior leader in the United States Army, civilian leader uh, in the acquisition space. Uh, I, I had the privilege to work with him uh, reasonably closely at various points in time uh, when he led uh, the acquisition of, uh, uh, of networking technology for the Army, but also even more significantly, uh, the acquisition of combat vehicles and MRAPs, and he was a key cog in making uh, that uh, tremendously valuable and important effort to protect U.S. forces uh, engaged in combat operations uh, work. Uh, and so without any further ado, please let me call Minister Wong uh, to the podium to deliver his remarks. Honorable Richard Armitage and Mr. Andrew Hunter, thank you very much for your warm welcome. And I would like to also express my sincere gratitude to all the distinguished participants for being present here. It is my great honor to deliver my keynote speech on this meaningful occasion of the CSIS DAPA conference, where we will discuss the way forward for security and defense industrial cooperation. This year's conference is divided into two days with a private session and a public session held each day. During yesterday's private session, representatives of the Iraq and U.S. government, as well as leading defense industry uh, from both countries, gathered at the CSIS to find better ways for uh, cooperation in the defense industry. It was a pleasure to hear that the participants of the two countries had a constructive discussion where they reviewed previous cases of defense industrial cooperation between the two countries while gathering ideas about a way forward for our relationship. The ROC-US alliance, which was forged in blood during the Korean War, has continued to mature under the principle of reciprocity. As the relationship continued to evolve, we have witnessed remarkable changes in how we collaborate, especially in the area of defense acquisition and defense industries. The partnership now has transformed from a relationship where Korea unilaterally purchased U.S. weapons to a mature relationship where the ROC supplied parts and components to U.S. system integrators through offset arrangements. In the 1950s, when the Korean War broke out, the ROC was not capable of producing weapons on its own. However, the country transformed itself to an economic and technological powerhouse just in half a century. This was also the case for its technological capability in national defense, ranging from rifles, 
to aircrafts and submarines, Korea has become capable of developing and producing state-of-the-art weapon systems with its own technologies. On the other hand, the security environment surrounding the ROC-US alliance has been evolving very rapidly. Many emerging threats, including proliferation of WMD and cyber attacks, have become diverse weapon nature to become more transnational and unconventional. While countries all across the world are aggressively building up their military capabilities by either developing or acquiring advanced weapons system, the security landscape in Northeast Asia has further instigated instability in the region. To keep pace with such changes in the region, it is high time to consider new ways of cooperation between the ROC and the U.S. The discussion we will have today on our partnership is also a discussion on the vision that we must have in the near future, considering the rapidly evolving security environment and advancements in technology. That is why I believe today's conference holds profound implications to the ROC-US relationship. Once again, I would like to extend my sincere appreciation to the CSIS for preparing this precious opportunity. The history of the ROC Alliance, which lasted for more than 60 years, clearly demonstrates a need for maintaining the long, enduring relationship. During a bilateral meeting held in Seoul last November that involved senior officials of the two countries, the ROC and U.S. reaffirmed that the alliance is the linchpin of security in Northeast Asia. Furthermore, during the summit meeting between President Moon Jae-in and President Donald Trump, the two leaders have agreed to pursue harmonious cooperation between Korea's new southern policy and U.S. in the Pacific strategy. They also assessed that the ROC-U.S. alliance has become a comprehensive alliance that strengthens cooperation in not only security, but also economic and global issues. Taking a closer look at our partnership in key areas, especially in the economic sector, the total trade volume in goods and services between the two countries has recorded $167 billion in 2018. As Korea is the seventh largest trade market to the U.S. and the U.S. is the second largest trading partner of the ROC, the two countries continue to work closely to further strengthen the relationship. What's more, investment by Korean industries in, in the U.S. has been rising with raw companies investing $3.1 billion for building a petrochemical plant and $1.67 billion to build an electronic car battery plant in the U.S. In the area of science and technology, the Ministry of Information, Communication, and Technology of the ROC and the Department of Homeland Security of the U.S. signed a Memorandum of Understanding on Cooperation in Science, Technology, and Communication Technology with, with the aim of promoting substantial cooperation in the form of joint research between relevant organizations of the both countries. As the ROC-US alliance has become broader in scope, not just limited to security, but also covering many other areas, it is imperative that we take a closer look at our partnership in defense industries, which will strengthen cooperation in multitude of areas, including security, science, and technology and industry. Also in the defense industry, the two countries have engaged in a considerable amount of trade of defense articles. While 80% of ROC's foreign weapon purchases are U.S. origin, $2.36 billion worth of weapon systems have been acquired through either foreign military sales or domestic commercial sales. There are several ongoing programs to acquire major weapon systems, including F-35s or KF-16, large attack helicopters, and maritime patrol aircrafts. 
Depending on how we collaborate, however, there are limited potentials for de deepening and widening the current partnership that can go beyond growth in the quantity of defense trade. First, defense industrial cooperation is one of the most effective ways of countering emerging security threats. Through such partnerships, both countries can not only acquire cutting-edge weapons with lower costs and risks, but also enhance interoperability that serves as a backbone of the allied capability. Also, weapons systems are an integration of highly advanced science and technology. In a time when we're experiencing rapid advancements in sophisticated technologies such as artificial intelligence, autonomy, robotics, and big data, which will become the game changers in the warfare, it is quite obvious that defense industrial cooperation has to go side by side with cooperation in science and technology. Lastly, cooperation in defense industry can further strengthen the industrial and economic partnerships between the two countries by enabling local production and stimulating investment. As we work together in defense industry, such cooperation could become a highly effective strategy that transforms the alliance into a comprehensive relationship encompassing areas of security, science, and technology to economy and industry. To take advantage of t defense industrial cooperation as a means for facilitating cooperation in multitude of areas, um, it is critical we transform how we cooperate in defense industries. That is why DAPA and the CSIS decided to have discussions on third-generation partnership on defense industrial cooperation, the next stage of our cooperation for this year's conference. ROC-US third-generation partnership is a concept envisioned by Dr. Henry in 2018, October of 2018. This new idea of cooperation involves an extended partnership where our two industrial bases and companies partner in a wide range of things from joint research and development and joint production to joint sales and joint marketing. I believe this is a concept that contains Dr. Henry's deep insight about the environment and changes surrounding the two countries, as I recognize that Dr. Henry has a profound understanding of Korea and the ROC-US alliance. I also believe that the cooperation should grow further in a way that supports this new concept. Defense industrial engagements between Korea and U.S. started with a Generation 1 partnership, which was a simple process of Korea buying U.S. weapons system. It was followed by Generation 2, which was more of FMS purchases with parts and components supplied by Korean industries to U.S. prime contractors under offset arrangements. There were a few cooperative R&D efforts that were mostly driven by government research institutes. One good example could be the joint research effort to develop technologies required for developing 2.75-inch rockets, also known as K-logger, in the 2000s. Also in this year, the ROC and U.S. agreed to begin working on joint research projects for core technologies in the areas of ground, wireless, laser, and communication network technologies through a bilateral meeting called the ROC-U.S. Technological Cooperation Subcommittee, also known as TSCS, TCSC. Although there have been very few joint prog programs for developing a full-fledged program, the ROC and U.S. did successfully develop T-50 advanced trainer aircraft through the partnership driven by technology transfer. Despite failure to win the contract for the advanced trainer program, T-50 has been exported to a number of third countries. 
Among all these cooperative efforts, some of them partially fulfilled the requirements of the third generation partnership, which are joint R&D, joint production, and joint sales. It was, however, unfortunate that most of the joint programs never reached the level of systems development and were not performed at an equal footing, which shows there, that there is much more room for improvement in terms of how we cooperate. It is my belief that the topics we discussed throughout the two days of the conference will form the basis of the third generation partnership in defense industry while being a good first step for further strengthening our relationship. The ROK government's current security policy prioritizes acquiring advanced weapon systems on the one hand and securing weapons development capability on the other. Under the aim of building smart and strong armed forces based on its state-of-the-art technologies, the ROK continues to aggressively push forward with policies to promote defense science and technology development. This is well represented by the government's budget as it authorized a record amount of national defense budget amounting to $42 B billion for 2020. Around $34.5 billion was invested in force improvement program, which is spent on acquiring advanced capabilities and nurturing nurturing, rather, defense industrial base, while $14 billion is to be allocated for next year. According to ROK's 2020 to 2024 midterm defense plan released in August this year, the government will authorize force improvement budget amounting to $87.2 billion for the next five years, while R&D costs accounted for 7% of total national defense budget in 2019. ROK plans to further expand its investment in advanced weapon systems to 10% of the defense budget by 2033 as prescribed in the 2019 to 2033 defense science and technology promotion policy. Instead of simple quantitative growth in investment, ROK has been pursuing to develop cutting-edge technologies and weapon systems as it continues to work to draw a roadmap that focuses on eight strategic technology areas, including autonomy, AI-based surveillance and reconnaissance, hyper-connected intelligent command and control. With the government's strong willingness and commitment to making considerable investment in such areas, we expect to see more opportunities for cooperation that will bring synergy to partnership between ROK and U.S. industries. Furthermore, the efforts to harmonize respective R&D, acquisition, and industrial policies should be the key to the success of our third-generation partnership efforts. The ROK and U.S. should closely coordinate to minimize any inefficiency that may arise throughout the process of joint development. It is true that Korea has maintained a protectionist policy to support the growth of domestic industries while remaining to be a closed market that is mainly driven by requirements of its own armed forces. It also lacked institutional approaches to support cooperative R&D programs with international partners. And in the perspective of the United States, the most important factors when reviewing potential partners who share advanced technologies and uh, uh, cost burden would be confidence in the partner nation's technological capability and ability to safeguard critical technologies. To overcome these institutional and environmental obstacles or gaps, the ROK is headed towards bringing overarching reforms to Korea's acquisition process that would open up possibility of engaging in international cooperation, even from the stage of preliminary research of an acquisition program. It is also working to create an open environment that is favorable to R&D programs and defense industry 
by making full use of guidelines that support cooperative R&D efforts. The ROK government also placed top priority on defense technology security, which is directly connected to mutual trust and benefit of the alliance to modernize our policies and safeguarding critical technologies. As part of efforts to better safeguard defense science and technology, DAPA established a new office dedicated to technology security back in 2014 as part of its restructuring effort and enacted the Defense Technology Security Act in 2015. All such measures have brought institutional reforms that would enable more effective and full-fledged protection of defense technology. There are also bilateral and global events hosted by the ROK every year, including the ROK-US Defense Technology Security Consultative Mechanism, DTSCM, an international defense technology security conference under the aim of building a world-class technology security mechanism. Lastly, to realize the very first case of successful third-generation partnership, the two countries must work closely to find ways to harmonize the respective policies while discovering areas for cooperation, as well as common requirements that would help build a win-win partnership. This will require mutual understanding of acquisition priorities and plans by both of our nations. Alongside with ROK's commitment on making policy and institutional reforms, the U.S. should also do its part to lower any legislative or institutional barriers for the purpose of realizing the third generation partnership. While discussions on such issues could be done through bilateral venues, it is my hope to take this conference as an opportunity to initiate an official dialogue between the two nations. There is a phrase saying, quote, trees with deep roots do not sway, unquote, in an old Korean poem. While the two Korean countries have been experiencing major developments in recent months, some have experienced or expressed, rather, their concerns over their relationship. I think, however, that the ROK-US alliance is like a tree with deep roots. The alliance, which is deeply rooted in the mutual trust, will not sway regardless of any surrounding circumstances. And the two countries will soon be able to produce abundant leaves and fruits based on those firm roots. I'm confident that defense industrial partnership that we have discussed today and yesterday would become the driving force for growing much stronger roots of the alliance. When the two countries engage in defense industrial partnership based on their competitive advantages, advantages in technology, the alliance would allow us to maintain an absolute advantage over adversaries while improving readiness and preparedness of the alliance. And I have no doubt that the partnership will contribute to building peace, not only in the Korean Peninsula, but also in Northeast Asia. Thank you so much for your attention. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's an uh, honor to be here um, to participate in the continuing of, uh, you know, a long uh, relationship with the Republic of Korea. Uh, you know, I'm honored to be uh, part of this, and, and I see uh, there's huge opportunities to continue our relationships and improve uh, the relationships. Uh, and, you know, the good news is, is following, following the minister is uh, I have a lot of the similar things to talk about. Um, uh, and I do welcome the minister to, to the United States. Uh, as, as you probably all know, is, uh, our partnership uh, uh, with the Republic of Korea is front and center with our national defense strategy. 
you know, I'll be uh, remiss. I always start where we're always focused on our national defense strategy. And if you think about what it is uh, in every aspect, uh, the Republic of Korea uh, is part and partial to it. Because uh, as you know, in a lot of our operations, um, uh, they are a partner and a coalition partner critical to how effective we are. You know, our three lines of effort obviously being lethality and readiness, uh, strategic partnerships and alliances, which we're here to talk about a lot. And then the third, which uh, um, I think is also critical to what we're talking about today, and that is uh, reform. Right? And if you think about it, uh, there's nothing always in every, in every country, reform always tends to talk a lot about acquisition. Uh, but as the minister talked about, there's a lot of reform and part of it is policy, right? Uh, how do we uh, make sure that our policies support what we're trying to do? And I think there's no area that we believe uh, has a bigger opportunity than our international uh, aspects of what we're trying to do. Um, you know, South Korea uh, has been and will continue to, to be a value strategic partner. Uh, we have a, a, a deep, long relationship. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, you know, as you heard, so uh, I had a 34-year Army career. Uh, I retired for a couple of years, and then I was a, you know, uh, I guess a weak moment. I agreed to come back, you know, sort of like the minister. Um, but I, I've, had, I've been involved in almost every relationship, right? Government to government relationship, government to industry relationship, part of an industry to industry relationship. And when you talk government to industry, it's both ways, right? Um, and uh, and, and uh, I think that, you know, as we go forward, uh, the opportunities uh, are unlimited, right? I mean, you look at current programs like the F-35, where not only uh, the production, but, you know, the uh, awarding of the maintenance, repair, and overhaul uh, to South Korea. Um, and, you know, look at... When we look at our capabilities today and into tomorrow, a big part of cooperation is interoperability because we are, uh, our, our plan is to never fight alone. We will always fight with our coalition partners. And so having uh, 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 common uh, 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 programs and having common capabilities is really important. Uh, in uh, many uh, instances, uh, you know, it could be, you know, I think when we look to the future, you know, co-development is where we need to start, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, uh, because if you look at some of the uh, future technologies, and I'll talk about them, uh, even in the United States, um, we tend to think about a technology that is the same way we look at old technologies, but in some instances in the future, we got to look at what is the concept of operation of these technologies. So I think cooperation starts when you look at new uh, technologies like hypersonics. You're starting in how do we look at a joint capability requirement and a joint concept of operation uh, capability. Um, and then you look at uh, you know, what would be our co-production or what I would call our integrated supply chain of those future technologies. Um, you know, and, and so my, my view is in today's world, when you look at what we're trying to do, is in a lot of instances when you start with new technologies, uh, we sometimes don't look at the industrial base early enough in the program, and so when we get into the production of those programs, sometimes we haven't looked at the integral industrial base, and so I think that's a huge opportunity. Uh, 
And, and you know, I think, you know, in, in my perspective, as we look for the future opportunities, is how do we look at a collective strategic objective, right? Is uh, in areas that we both have a capability need, right? And we both have a uh, concept of operation of how we're gonna use it. I think you know in the Department of Defense, we, we really have two focuses that are, uh, are, are, are not separate, but they're together. One is how do we accelerate technologies? And I know the minister met with Dr. Griffin, who's the undersecretary of Defense for Research and Development yesterday. And I think most of you know our, our, our 10 uh, technology areas, which do change on occasion, but today they're, you know, hypersonics, you know, directed energy, you know, command control and communication, which has been our technology requirement forever and will be in the future. Uh, space, both offensive and defensive. Cybersecurity, which I'll talk more about. Artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, uh, we put those together. Uh, missile defense, which there's probably no capability that we look that we need to be cooperative on that kind of uh, uh, activity. Quantum science and computing. Microelectronics is probably as much an industrial base issue as it is a technology issue, right? Um, and then auton autonomy. Um, and then the second thing that we're focused on in the department, which I think is part and partial, is then how do we, you know, uh, speed acquisition, right? And if you look at the things that we look at as speed and acquisition, is a lot of it does go to reform and policy and how do we uh, do better. And, and in almost every instance, which I guess I wasn't paying as much attention to until the job I have, is it, as much as it's a Department of Defense thing, it's across the federal government, right? I mean, there's other agencies, you know, whether it be the Office of Management and Budget or the Department of State, that they all have to be together on most of the instances when we're looking at how do we do better. And then you look at other areas that we're focused on, uh, as the minister talked about, is how do we improve the overall contracting procurement processes? Um, and then, uh, you know, as you can tell, I, I talk about it a lot, is how do we collectively across the world have what we call a resilient uh, and secure industrial base, right? And I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then the other people, other place we look at is how do we make sure we train our people uh, to do the job? So I think a good uh, example of the other kinds of things we gotta think about is this idea about how do we secure our, our industrial base, right? You, uh, probably a lot of you have uh, heard that in the United States we're on this path that, that how do we certify our industry to say that they're cyber compliant. And if you think about it, that's not just a United States thing because that's an industrial base thing, right? So as we have joint partners across the industrial base, how do we make sure that we all have a secure industrial base? And you think about it as one of the things that tends to be uh, one of those things that we got to pay attention to is the intellectual property and how do we collectively develop things and protect them uh, across the industrial base. So that, uh, as you know, tends to be, uh, cybersecurity tends to be a, uh, a all-encompassing thing that I think we could work together, both from an industrial base perspective, weapon system resiliency, and then obviously in the operations that we uh, uh, conduct. Um, you know, the, 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 
I believe, if you think about it, I've been around, as, you, as, as I told you, a long time, is I don't think we've ever been more focused on how do we do better in international opportunities, right? And that when you have a strong uh, partner like we do in the Republic of Korea, it makes it a, a, a huge opportunity. Uh, it's still not easy, but it's easier than it had been as far as how do we work with the policy people and the different federal agencies. And, and I'll tell you, within the Department of Defense, looking at international programs and international partnerships is now encouraged, where before it was, what I would say, it wasn't discouraged, but it wasn't considered part of people's focus. Uh, one of my bosses, the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and uh, Sustainment, uh, Ms. Lord's priority is whenever we do things, how do we make sure we think from the beginning of a weapon system, how do we make it international cooperative program, right? Uh, so how do we make things sure things are exportable or we are in a joint development opportunity? You know, again, I really do think, um, you know, our opportunities are, are plentiful. I do think that uh, one of the things that we should think about is what is the high priority critical areas that we collectively have a capability need that we will be working in a cooperative uh, engagement. And, and uh, you know, one that's easiest to talk about is like integrated air and missile defense, right? And especially in the areas. So how do we look at where we have a joint capability needs into the future, how do we start an early development to include what are the concept of operations, right, on how we would use that technology? And then, uh, then I think as we look at those technologies and then we look at what would look like from a United States Republic of Korea uh, integrated industrial base capability uh, to, base, uh, to best uh, apply that capability I think would be a huge opportunity. Um, some of the concerns I have in a lot of instances is we have a tendency uh, to look at everything and anything and we never get to uh, uh, progress. And so I always tend to have this idea of theory of constraints, right? Pick the things that you think are, are probably the most uh, 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 capability that we both need, especially in the, uh, in the area of operations that will be, co uh, that will be uh, uh, working together and see how do we start those technologies and then concept of operations and then how we would have a integrated industrial base to support it. Um, so I do think that the opportunities are huge. I do believe that under the current administration, international partnership is a high priority. Um, you know, I was going to point out as you think about it, uh, when we got our new secretary, Secretary Esper, and uh, and uh, uh, new chairman, uh, General Milley, almost immediately one of the first places they visited was Korea because it is such an important uh, strategic alliance. And as you know, they just uh, uh, committed to continuing that uh, uh, relationship well into the future. So with that said, I look forward to your questions. Uh, well, thank you, uh, gentlemen, both of you, for those remarks. Uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, I look forward to having the opportunity to give you a couple of questions, about three questions, uh, before we turn uh, to our audience. I think it's, it's really quite interesting. Uh, we've, 
had the privilege to host conferences here at CSIS in, in cooperation with DAPA for, uh, for a number of years now. And I think this may be the point at which the conversation about defense industrial cooperation is uh, maybe the most advantageous one that we could be having right now. Uh, uh, as is mentioned, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. Korea has been, uh, the Korean Peninsula has been a focal point uh, of security thinking for um, uh, an intense uh, attention for a number of years. Uh, and, and that's been true now for a while, but uh, it really seems like maybe the biggest opportunity for deepening the relationship right now may be in the defense industrial uh, cooperation area. It's a huge priority, uh, Kevin, as you mentioned, for the administration uh, to expand U.S. industrial cooperation around the world. Uh, and uh, I think there's huge opportunities uh, with the maturing of Korean defense industry, their emergence as a major player in the global defense market, uh, for that to be, uh, for there to be a lot of progress in this area. So um, my first uh, question kind of follows up, Kevin, on, on a point you hit towards the end of your remarks uh, and that the minister also hit about identifying uh, the key areas that look most ready for deepening uh, bilateral cooperation. I think uh, missile defense was mentioned potentially as one. Uh, and I know in previous uh, sessions that we've had, there's been a focus between the two countries on autonomy and autonomous systems as an area of opportunity. Uh, during some of the discussions uh, yesterday, there was also um, uh, mentioned the attractiveness of the K Koreans' advanced capabilities and display technologies and all the applications that that might have. But I, I would start by asking uh, the two of you uh, for your thoughts on what you see as really um, uh, ripe opportunities for deepening cooperation. And Minister, if you would like to start. Well, uh, thank you very much for your question, Mr. Hunter. Regarding bilateral cooperation, there will be many areas and we can think of many uh, modes of cooperation. But uh, yesterday, I visited Pentagon and met with Assistant uh, Secretary Dr. Crippen for R&D, and we talked about science and technology and its role in our country's defense industry. And we struck a lot of chords when we talked about uh, these issues. Given our current technological advantage, there are some urgent matters that we should pay attention, but the entire world is facing this thing, fourth industrial revolution, which is evolving very fast. So this fourth industrial revolution related technologies is sort of like winner takes all type of technology. So whoever uh, advances the fast will take the entire share. So we need to cooperate in this rapidly evolving areas and it'll be more meaningful for our cooperation. Uh, Dr. Griffin uh, mentioned uh, to me several things. First was microelectronics area. This is not just related to the defense areas, but it can also um, expand into private industry. And Korea also is paying a lot of attention to this, to this microelectronics 
And Dr. Griffin was well aware of Korea's potential in this area. The second one is supersonic. As you all know, this it will be very important for missile defense and et cetera. Lastly, we agree that miniature satellites as a group type, group format, that'll be a very important thing. But this is a high interest amongst DAPA, and we are looking at uh, many vendors with high technologies. This is not well so much known to the world, but we are currently having the fourth project in Middle East uh, regarding this miniature satellite. I'm sure there will be other areas regarding platform-based projects, but we need to feel the urgency in promoting um, these projects. And these will be the core technologies, and we need to uh, expedite our cooperation in these areas. I hope this helps, and hope this answered your question. Thank you. Yes, just to uh, add, you know, I, I wrote down some uh, items, and some of them are exactly as the minister talked about is, you know, probably first and foremost, microelectronics is something that is today, right? And so it's a technology of how do we do it in the future, but it's a today's problem, so I think that's a huge opportunity. I would, uh, and they're sort of related, but not really, right? So there's the whole idea of command control and communications, right? I mean, and what I would throw in there is the whole concept of 5G, right? I mean, we all know uh, that that technology is here today. We all know uh, that, that China, uh, to a large extent, uh, is, pro is without a doubt the most prevalent. And so I think as a cooperative opportunity is what are the things that we would have to do? And that's both a technology and an industrial base thing to make sure that uh, uh, we are in control of our own command control and communication. A few of the other ideas, you know, in today's environment, in the future, I always put cyber in there, right? If you think about cyber, as I spoke, it's everything from how do we protect our industrial base to how do we make our weapon systems resilient and how do we, I mean, I think the third part of it, which is a cooperative opportunity, is how do we operate in a contested environment? And I would say that's both in a cyber arena in the electronic warfare arena because both of them are uh, technologies that advance fast, and we know that um, our adversaries uh, keep advancing. And then I do believe just in the nature of the uh, 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 opportunities of us, how we work together today, the whole idea of integrated air and missile defense uh, is a key one, which has a lot of technologies, which obviously the miniature satellites are, could be part of that whole uh, uh, picture. Um, and then the last would be uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and autonomy I sort of put together is we are both advancing that and working together because I think a lot of our ability to advance the technology fast is how quickly we learn from what we do, right? So those are the areas that I would think would be good opportunities that are, are, are here to work on and will be into the future.
Well, thank you very much for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you see opportunities for um, other partners uh, working together with the U.S. and CREAS? In other words, not just a bilateral cooperation, but building on that bilateral cooperation with other relationships both nations have uh, around the world uh, to add to that partnership and to expand it um, outside of just the bilateral relationship. So I'm thinking a little bit in yesterday's dialogue, there was some discussion about work that Korea has underway with Australia, uh, which is also obviously a, a huge partner of the United States and the one that we're working closely with, um, even on some of the technologies that you both just mentioned. Mr. Minister? Yes, of course. Our two nations' cooperation is important, but multilateral uh, cooperation will be possible. And of course, there should be some conditions that should be set and be satisfied that we pursue common values. And those nations or partners will also are fully committed to protecting national security-related technologies, security. When it comes to the example of F-35, it's a successful case where only those trustworthy partners can take part. However, from the perspective of the ROK, uh, I don't think we are fully ready to uh, expand our cooperation with uh, many uh, different nations at this moment. When it comes to KFX, our next generation fighter, we are producing it in joint partnership with Indonesia, and it is going very well. So as Mr. Hunter pointed out, whether it is trilateral or multilateral, I think it is feasible down the road, and it might happen down the road. And I agree. Thank you. Again, I would just add, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with the minister. Is uh, I think there's absolutely opportunities to do that. Uh, and I think in some instances, when you work on what is the co-development, uh, you, you might see that there's opportunities where you go into what is the integrated industrial base that maybe between the United States and the uh, Republic of Korea, we don't have the most resilient industrial base for that technology that we'd bring in other partners to fill those areas um, that were most critical. Probably 5G is one of those things that having a multinational opportunity could be a, a, a key uh, thing. Uh, Minister, you brought up the, the cooperation of the work that Korea is doing with Indonesia. And one of the, I'd say, uh, full realizations of the vision of a next generation partnership is the idea that the U.S. ROK partnership isn't just a matter of us selling to each other, but is a, a matter of being partners in the global defense market. And do you see other opportunities? Indonesia is a good example, I think, because that next generation fighter, I think, sort of grew out of the T-50, which is a partnership between the U.S. and Korea. Do you see other opportunities, either in the technology space, other, other products or technologies that the U.S. and the ROK could partner on in third country markets, or, or just other countries that you see as natural partners 
that fit with both the U.S. and Korea and in our industrial bases? Yes, I fully agree with your question. Uh, what we're discussing today, which is third generation defense industrial cooperation, was uh, brought up by Dr. Henry last fall. And when I heard that, I just uh, fully agreed with it. And I started, uh, even though small, I just started right away. Uh, so far, we've been saying that the second generation defense industrial cooperation, but for T50, uh, we incorporated some of the U.S. technologies, and we are advancing into the third countries with this product. Of course, U.S. and ROC uh, relation and cooperation may materialize and more efficiently in other countries. And. I think it is always possible for us to go into or advance into a third country with our cooperation. Thank you. You know, I, I agree. You know, and you think about it, uh, and sometimes uh, uh, the complexities of uh, coming up with a joint development and production program, in a lot of instances, it's the, it's the timing of need, right? If you think about it, even within the United States across services, you know, sometimes the Army wants something before the Marine Corps, even though it's the same capability. So that's where when I talked about picking the few where we both know that we have a capability need now and into the future, and then how do we do the concept of operations together, and then sort of build the development program, and then figure out the uh, integrated industrial base. Uh, that challenge on that is the timing of both of us needing the capability at the same time, right? And that's part of the complexity of it. I'd like to turn now to our audience for questions. I've got a good group today. Uh, if you have a question, please raise your hand. We'll bring a microphone around. Tell us uh, who you are and ask a brief question. We'll start here in the front. Uh, Chris McRae, economystation.net. So I was lucky in 2017, I went to the first summit that Moon Jae in uh, spoke to, to an international audience. And it was on basically futures of technologies for places and cities, not specifically defense. But what was amazing was all the sorts of exhibits there. You, you know, I haven't seen stuff as advanced as that, apart from possibly sometimes at MIT. So I was wondering um, if, if the, the Koreans could uh, maybe sort of square the circle. How, how do we link uh, what citizens and defense can do. I mean, w one thing which stood out absolutely amazingly is the ability to build uh, technology suburbs for up to half a million people in two or three years, but to be a sort of complete 5G IR4 space. And so that, you know, that has advantages for citizens, it has advantages for technology, defense, everything. So just wondering if there's a way to square that circle so we understand the, all these important futures from everyone's point of view? Yeah, that's a great question. I know the, um, uh, the last week we had the Reagan National Defense Forum and a lot of events are around that that uh, many of us attended and there was a lot of discussion about 
the connectedness. Um, those who follow the discussions in the United States, the uh, Chief of Staff of the Air Force has talked uh, extensively about how in the future uh, the systems that talk to each other are the systems that are going to make a difference and those that don't will be uh, very much less relevant uh, in the future. So this idea of kind of connectedness, the Internet of Things, which is maybe the one buzzword we haven't yet hit, so I'm going to throw it on the table. Uh, I would love to hear the panelists talk about uh, how they see that connectedness uh, playing into um, the systems of the future and uh, the, the possible partnership here. As for me, I work at ADAPA, and I am here as a representative of this Korean agency. And I may sound not very broad uh, visioned, but I think uh, this kind of question can be better answered by a person who has a broad overview, but as a government official. Allow me to share my personal view. Of course, I believe the future direction of society should be geared towards moving forward for the welfare of humankind. Of course, defense is important, but effectiveness and uh, welfare and efficiency are all important. So integration should be pursued uh, in consideration of all that. And we put it as ubiquitous city in Korean terminology, and all uh, local autonomies will uh, build a small or medium-scale cities that have AI system fully built in. And I think it can e uh, even fully blossom into larger scale down the road. So when it comes to the general idea, I fully agree with you. Thank you. Yeah, I would add, you know, you think about it, you, you specifically said the Internet of Things, right? So um, there's a lot of opportunity there. I mean, you don't, you don't uh, go a day without hearing about the, the government's cloud opportunities, right? Um, and, you know, so what you see then in a lot of instances, the commercial technology is available, and then we got to figure out how do we apply it for our need, you know, clouds being a great example. The security requirements of the, the Department of Defense or, or a military operation, and then how do you make sure that it's always available no matter where you go. But there's other, you think about it like uh, cyber, right? When we look at the things we're looking at as cyber, a lot of it is stuff that the banking industry or the health community already does a lot of those things. So there are commercial, you know, 5G is, is commercial by definition. Um, you know, I think autonomy, if you look at autonomy, the, the commercial guys are ahead of us, then it's more about how do we apply it to our application. Even, you know, I mean, it's becoming more and more, you look at space. Right? I mean, where we, the Department of Defense, used to always be paying for everything in space, and today you have commercial companies like Blue Origin and SpaceX that we absolutely want to take advantage of, right? So I think as you look forward, a lot of these technologies, you're probably not going to see a lot of commercial applications of hypersonics, right? Of shooting bullets a long way. But obviously, space is a, is a perfect uh, area where you see commercial in a big area that will help us. Good morning, uh, John Anderson from uh, AT&T. So as a, uh, as a telecom carrier, we do a lot of business internationally in South Korea with the telecoms there, SK, KT, LGU Plus. 
And um, one of the things that they are sensitive to in our defense networks is the NDAA and restrictions on um, building networks that have some sort of part or, or infrastructure that is um, utilizing Chinese uh, manufactured and owned uh, infrastructure and hardware. Um, how does DAPA reconcile this sort of advice and advisement on divestment from using the Chinese manufactured infrastructure from their need to protect the sort of trade relationships and commercial relationships with China at the same time? Yeah, so this gets at, you know, it's interesting the minister brought up that um, the rules the for U.S. acquisition system in some cases aren't always the same as the rules that uh, the Korean industry uh, placed by and so we have in the last couple of years uh, adopted as statute and U.S. policy that um, certain uh, specifically identified Chinese companies uh, telecommunications equipment are allowed to be part of uh, a, a U.S. network and certainly uh, very much so if it's a defense related network. Um, so I guess the question then minister for you would be to what extent uh, does uh, DAPA focus on uh, the presence of Korean tech, uh, sorry, Chinese technology in your networks, and what are the rules around that? And, and is there a, a possibility of having a common approach to the U.S. and Korea there? Uh, No, sorry, the uh, interpretation has some lag, so I had to wait on, the, she's done with it. So for, as far as the Chinese goes, I cannot just pick on China, but whoever that country is, the security directly related to that country and their uh, national security and the platforms related to that are very important, and they all want to have domestic components for that. If they can, they cannot have 100% of domestic components, then they need to find some other country who can be uh, interoperable with it, uh, such as US or something. So they need to have this interoperability to cooperate in this uh, area. So for Korean weapon system, I don't think there'll be any other country that much except for uh, the US, it's mostly US. So that should answer your question. Thank you. Kevin, do you want to talk about <laughs> Oh, I'll say is I got to follow the law. <laughs> you know, so the, uh, the law on that has made it pretty easy for the United States and what do we do, right? Well, easy on what to do, but is it easy to do it? Uh, put it this way, it's easy to do what the law says, right? And that's from the future on is to not allow the purchase of certain uh, Chinese products. What's not so easy to do is how do you police what you already got, right? And uh, and that's part of the effort, right? And then, uh, you know, as the minister said, you know, part of that part of the problem is understanding the risk associated with what it is, right? So. Good morning. I'm Hunter Shin, a male business newspaper in Korea. Uh, first of all, thank you for having this kind of meaningful conference today. Uh, I have a quick question to Assistant Secretary Fei Fei. 
The recently, the U.S. is calling on South Korea to significantly increase uh, its defense cost. So if South Korea increases its share, do you plan to do something to improve its military defense capabilities? For example, the missile range limit could be increased further from 800 kilometers, or the nuclear agreement could be revised to uh, so that South Korea has a nuclear power submarine like that. How do you think about it? Thank you. Well, that's an easy question. Uh, you know, so I, what I would say is, you know, is most of the questions you asked are outside of the Department of, you know, a lot of those are uh, treaty things and uh, stuff like that. But uh, we will continue to work with, uh, you know, the Republic of Korea to figure out how do we do the best for the operations there. And we, as you know, as we, we as the United States government now, are relooking almost everything as far as the treaties and compliance and all those kinds of things. Uh, and as you know, one of our highest priorities uh, is the, uh, the modernization of the nuclear triad, right? So I think all those things are in play. Hi, uh, George Root, uh, Juliet Marine Systems. Um, one of the things I don't think we've talked much about today is uh, the maritime environment. Certainly Korea is a maritime uh, uh, country and with a lot of maritime threats, uh, even more, you might think, uh, given the proximity of, uh, of some of, uh, of our joint enemies uh, to, to, to South Korea. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, is there areas where we could uh, coordinate our development activities, uh, particularly within the CONOPS that the uh, Undersecretary has referred to earlier? Uh, thank you for that question. I just wanted to add one of the things that came up in yesterday's discussion is that the Republic of Korea is what I would characterize as a, a shipbuilding superpower as well, and that shows up in their defense exports. They uh, have a real comparative advantage in the area of um, shipbuilding and, and maritime systems. So, uh, ask the panelists to speak to the potential for cooperation in that area. As Mr. Hunter pointed out, Korea, when it comes to the shipbuilding industry, we stand at top in terms of its capabilities. We have uh, more than one con uh, company that does its job extremely well in that industry. As you know very well, the submarines that we didn't have in the past are being successfully developed, and we are even exporting some of them to other nations. So if your question is confined to the shipbuilding uh, partnership opportunities between our two nations, I think there will be a golden opportunity. It will be almost a boon for us to tap into. If we can utilize that to further enhance our weapon system, I think it will be a great opportunity. We'll wholeheartedly welcome that kind of opportunity. Thank you. 
agree. I think that uh, in the maritime, there's huge opportunities, not only from a shipbuilding perspective, but if you think about it, everything that goes on the ship, right? Whether it be the the, the missiles, the uh, radars, the you name it, right? I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity. Um, as When you look at shipbuilding, building the ship is a piece of it. Integrating all the components on it is a bigger piece, if not a bigger piece. And I think so. I think the opportunities would be huge on the maritime area. Now we're very heavily loaded on the right hand side, <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, in the back, Uh, hello, my name is Songbe Park from LIG Next One. Our company is involved in uh, Korean weapons system development, and we're receiving uh, many of the components and parts from the U.S. regarding this aspect. And we have a very good and solid relationship with the U.S., but regarding export license, it takes a long time and causes a lot of hardship. So to strengthen cooperation between the two countries, I wonder whether there's any way to improve on this export licensing and time it takes. Thank you. Initiative of the administration uh, from starting from the earliest days and um, initiated directly by the president to uh, expand exports of U.S. defense-related products um, and to streamline processes for that. I know that, Kevin's not really uh, your day-to-day -day job, but I know you've, you've at least seen that happening and give some thoughts on it. Yeah, what I would say is that it, it has been a, it, what I would tell you, it is a high priority. It is something that they're looking at is how do we improve the export-import, which is, as you know, there's a lot of pieces to that, right? One of it is, you know, part of it is what can you export and import. So one of the things that, we've done from an acquisition Department of Defense perspective is when you come up with a new requirement, uh, one of the things you have to address upfront is exportability of the equipment. As you know, in a lot of instances in the past, we don't address that until it gets to the point that it's in production and then there's things in that item that may or may not be exportable. So part of the challenge is one, designing to be exportable, which is a big priority. And then the other is we have been working with the other federal agencies that when we talk about uh, 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 cooperation with not only international partners, one of the huge pieces of the uh, national defense strategy is how do we work better across the federal departments so that we can uh, do better in the export business. Right. And we are looking at all kinds of ways to improve that. Yeah, yes, the Emmanuel Pastrage at the Asia Institute. Uh, I had a question about basic science and, and also in uh, engineering in terms of extremely expensive uh, facilities for fabrication. Are there plans for how, say, Korea and the United States could sort of combine their uh, resources uh, for basic science and also for uh, engineering research at the universities and research institutes? Okay, so you're talking more on the S&T side, not so much on like a foundry or some more uh, production. Well,
Yeah, and that's an interesting question. We've, uh, I think in previous conferences, we've also talked a little bit about the opportunities for cooperation between universities in addition to the uh, opportunities for cooperation between industries. So I think the, the gist of the question is there are some very uh, high capital intensive investments that are required for uh, basic research and for uh, some advanced manufacturing capabilities. And do you see an opportunity for some joint investment in that area uh, as part of this initiative? If I understood your uh, question correctly, of course, G2G joint research. Not only that, but also industry, industry, and industry to R&D, and college to college, a wide array of uh, co-research and co-development opportunities should be uh, explored and should be possible, especially in the context where uh, current technology is not uh, coming out of a silo, but it's more coming out of a wide array of different things. So I think this integral approach is uh, uh, something that we got to uh, uh, positively review. And I fully agree with you in that regard. Good add, right? So that was sort of some of the things I was talking about earlier. When you look at something like hypersonics, right, is we, the United States government, don't have a good industrial base. So if you looked at something of that as being a cooperative development program, Part of what I, my vision would be is we'd also look at what is the industrial base infrastructure in both countries to make it, uh, you know, uh, viable. I think there's, a, there's, there's quite a few uh, examples of that, right, is when you start building it up, what are the capabilities across the countries and where would you invest to come up with an integrated supply chain? Right. And, uh, you know, just to further you know that we do have quite a, a large cooperation with the Republic of Korea from not only industry to industry and uh, college to college, within the Department of Defense, there's all kinds of exchange programs that we have where they work in our labs and we work in their labs. You know, one thing maybe add to that from yesterday's conversations is, um, and it was referenced actually in the minister's speech about the level of direct foreign investment happening both directions uh, in the alliance, but in the groups that we had discussing yesterday, Industry on both sides are making pretty substantial investments in new uh, manufacturing capabilities um, uh, that are tying into uh, advanced supply chains. So there was a discussion about 787 advanced manufacturing facilities that have been uh, built in Korea. Uh, and I know there's also a lot of Korean investment currently coming into uh, uh, facilities in the U.S. on the defense side as well. Good morning, Michael Che Kim. Uh, I helped negotiate the US-Korea FTA, and one also been part of the implementation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one of the things I'm wondering about is what is the role of the FTA? I realize that you know, Defense Articles is not part of it, but I have been on one of the US-Korea FTA committees where we were helping one of our US companies who was exporting military technology to Korea and involved classified technologies. Nevertheless, the Korea Customs Service was asking for this information. I think there's some kind of disconnect, and I'm wondering what is like the Korea interagency doing in terms of re resolving these types of issues that are holding U.S. exports. Thank you. 
Well, this is the most difficult question that I got today. I haven't thought about the relationship between the FTA and defense material due to this clear line uh, of security. Although I'm taking questions from the floor, but even when I go to National Assembly and get question, if there's any sensitive issue, we send it to some closed session and non-relevant people will be kicked out of the floor at the National Assembly hearing. So I haven't prepared my answer regarding the, these lines of questions that might confuse you or might not be accurate. So I would like to limit my answer to here. Thank you and sorry. I will say that, in, again, in yesterday's discussion, there was uh, talk about how a, a reciprocal defense MOU could potentially facilitate uh, defense trade. The United States has such MOUs with a range of other countries. I think the focus in yesterday's dialogue was on an uh, R&D MOU uh, that might uh, serve as, uh, as a facilitator, um, not exactly a free trade agreement per se, but definitely would facilitate uh, more open trade, has implications within U.S. law for some of the domestic sourcing requirements. I think we have time for just one more question. Um, I'm sorry, let's have this one in the back. So. Good morning. I am uh, reporter Jung Eun Lee with Donga Daily in Korea. As it was asked before, when it comes to uh, military burden sharing, I have a question. When it comes to military burden sharing or SMA, this is being discussed between our two nations and related to that discussion. The military purchase that Korea got from uh, U.S. is quite significant when we consider that uh, as a significant contribution to uh, military burden. And I would like to hear from uh, Mr. Secretary what's your personal view. And as the negotiation goes ahead, if an increased purchase of military articles or uh, more burden, So as it pointed out, and I know it's been a highlight of some of our previous conferences, that there's uh, been substantial purchases of U.S. equipment uh, by Korea, and that sets up, obviously, long-term partnerships, um, not only in development, production, but also in sustainment, and we see that um, in the data as well. So, Kevin, if you could talk a little bit about what you see as the future prospect for um, Korean purchase of U.S. equipment and how you view that. You know, so um, the way I would look at it, right, so obviously as we develop our systems, uh, most of our uh, uh, stuff would be available for purchase, but I think your idea is more of how would it be reciprocal, right? Uh, and I, that's where I believe is the best thing to do is when you have a early on program that identifies, hey, here, it tends to be, in my opinion, a, a timing of need, right? And when the, both countries need things at the same time and the state of development is what it is, then it's easier to come to an agreement uh, that would uh, be, you know, what could be considered an offset, right? And then uh, that's where you could come to an agreement of how to both the uh, uh, country's industrial bases capitalize on that cooperative agreement, right? Because uh, 
Uh, and, and everyone's different, as we talked about earlier, is sometimes it's a, a, a department, a nation to nation thing, and, and that's where we tend to be able to uh, uh, sort of at least mold the uh, agreement. In some instances, it's uh, industry to industry, where the industries decide on how they could best work together. And then uh, in a lot of instances, it's government to industry in both directions. As you know, as our industry either sells it as a direct sale or a foreign military sale. So that's why I think that uh, there's so many different opportunities. What would we determine what would be the offset is what, how was the opportunity originally constructed and when was it constructed? I think. Uh, in many instances, the earlier you have the agreement, the better it is to have the, the right uh, uh, agreement across the board from an industry perspective and a department perspective. Well, thank you very much for that answer, and I really appreciate both of you uh, giving us so much time and answering so many questions, uh, many more actually than I anticipated we would get in, so I very much appreciate uh, your willingness to do that. Uh, I really struck as we've heard this discussion about the kind of mutual spirit of um, uh, goodwill and cooperation that we had at the table. Uh, and that was true also in our discussions yesterday. Tremendous opportunities, I think, in this deeper new generation partnership. Um, so thank you for highlighting that uh, and giving us that leadership perspective. And I want to thank everyone for coming today. Uh, and please join me in uh, appreciation of our panelists with your applause.